Okay, hello. I'm Adam. This is the podcast, the Cold Pizza Party podcast, uh, and this is the pizza. Hi. And uh, this is our podcast, the Cold Pizza Party podcast. We talk about politics and TV normally. Um, you know, trashy TV, left wing politics. And uh, we just woke up. It's Saturday. We're cooking. We're recording. Um, by the way, I did put pants on. I was not wearing pants because we just woke up. But um, you know. If I were, you wouldn't know if yeah. I was naked, but I would know. <laughs> so I'd put some pants on because cool. I feel better now. <laughs> so, um, would you? Should we do recommendations? Are do you, you have, ready? You go first. Uh, well, since we're in the kitchen, I'm gonna recommend fish sauce. Yeah. Because it's really revolutionized our flavor options. Um, yeah. We've been cooking for ourselves since I, we were in college, especially me. I've been cooking for us for a long time. <laughs> yeah. And uh, especially a lot of like veggie based stuff. And after a while, you really just kind of run the gamut of all the possible flavors that vegetables and oil and salt and various spices can give to you. And I think that with fish sauce, we've it's like we've unlocked a whole new uh, level, you know. And also plum wine has been very good. We've used like mirin and stuff in the past, but I think that um, this is like, I don't know, I find it more savory and it goes with a lot more stuff. And then when you add like a lot of spices on top of that, I can really like transform a dish. And I feel like, yeah, we're just like in a whole new place cooking wise, which I didn't think would happen <laughs> this many years into cooking. Yeah. It's very savory. Fish yeah. sauce. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, we made that. Korean soup out of the Anthony Bourdain book. Oh yeah, what's made, it called? I don't know. <laughs> Something <laughs> Korean. But we made uh, almost like a fish sauce. We simmered anchovies with shiitake, and you actually liked it. And then you yeah. add spam and ramen and hot dogs and gochujang. It's and really good. And ground pork. And ground pork, yeah. Yeah. It was very good. Yeah. I didn't expect to like the spam. And at first I was eating it really sparingly, but then it actually turned out it was, it was pretty all right in that soup. Yeah. I definitely didn't think I was going to like the broth because of all the anchovies, but it was actually really good. I guess it was kind of like a homemade fish sauce. Yeah. They're both anchovies. Okay, I'm going to do my recommendation. I'm going to do a poem. I feel like I don't recommend poetry enough. So I'm going to read this Bernadette Meyer sonnet. Or is it Mayer? I'm not sure. I forget, no, I but uh, I'm going to read the main one, like, people who have studied contemporary poetry or like her will know this poem, this is the main one, but uh, it's a great intro if you're not that into contemporary poetry, like, this is a good one to hear, so I'm going to do this one. So this is from her book of sonnets called Sonnets, and this poem is called Sonnet. Uh, you jerk, you didn't call me up, I haven't seen you in so long, you probably have a fucking tan. And besides that, instead of making love tonight, you're drinking your parents to the airport. I'm through with you bourgeois boys. All you ever do is go back to ancestral comforts only money can get. Even Catalyst was rich, but nowadays, you guys settle for a couch by a soporific color cable TV set. Instead of any arc of love, no wonder. The G.I. Joe team blows it every other time. Wake up, it's the middle of the night. You can either make love or die at the hand of the Cobra Commander. And then at the bottom it says, to make love, turn to page 44. To die, turn to page 130. Nice. Yeah. It's from, like, the 70s. That's why she mentioned G.I. Joe. She's a real, like, 
touchstone for every uh, like experimental poet, mm. especially ones that want to be more fun. All these poems are like improvisational in her book. Okay, so what are we talking about today? Uh, I was thinking that we should talk about maybe like electoral politics a little bit and Bernie. And then I was thinking maybe if there's time, we could be a little more open-ended and talk a little bit about like socialism and a little bit more about the types of, of socialism that we subscribe to or Marxism. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to label so it, I guess. this is going to be a more contemporary, like uh, current events type? Yeah, and then maybe just some open-ended political philosophy stuff. Okay. I don't know. If, if we have time to get into it, maybe we won't, because we love to talk a lot when we start talking. I'm also not the most well-read person, but I still have very strong opinions. I mean, me too. I, I've said before, like, I really don't think you need to be that well-read in this stuff, because, like, and, and politics in general. Like, I mean, granted, I have a political science degree, but, like, in general, like, I think that you don't need to study politics to know your politics, you know? Like, you experience the world, you have an opinion on politics. Like, yeah. So, and it's probably a valid opinion, you know? I mean, it might be a bad opinion, but it's still valid. Yeah. Also, <laughs> I, I've read enough about democracy to know I believe in democracy, so you should have an opinion. Yeah. As a person expected to participate. Yeah, I mean, so I guess the first place started, like, with electoral politics. I think that, like, especially on the left, especially amongst more radical leftists, there's a lot of times, uh, like, a real antipathy or skepticism towards um, electoral politics. Mm -hmm. And there's, like, that kind of, like, anarchist saying that, like, oh, if, if voting did anything, they, they wouldn't let you do it. Or, like, I think, um, what's her name? Um, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm blanking on her name. What area? Lucy Parsons. Mm -hmm. She had like a quote that was like, they they wouldn't let you vote if you could like vote away their fortunes or something oh, like that. That's a good one. Yeah. She has a lot of good quotes. Yeah. People like in the 1880s and 90s, they're just like eloquent quote machines. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she does have they a lot all of other really good quotes. Every person alive was an orator. Yeah, she has a great one where she, um, talks about like the cops and like killing cops basically um but anyway uh so i think like okay so i guess i'll just not be coy and come out with like i think in general that um that's that's true in a way but also um i think that voting is important because you have to in electoral politics actually voting like less so than participating yeah. in electoral politics more broadly but um because i think you have to like create the conditions for people to be able to like harness their to like create and then harness their capacity like essentially like i see like electoral politics as a really useful tool because it's a great low bar to bring a lot of people into politics and start organizing them around like issues or candidates that mean a lot to them and start like training them and giving them the skills that they need to become political actors you know and then that can go a lot further or sometimes it doesn't it just depends right but like i used to like um train people in how to like run political campaigns and i ha i had like a woman who was i think she was like 70 something who came and like ended up like running for local government after our training and winning 
and getting like I think like just that woman in her entire life had never seen herself as like someone who could she might have seen herself as like maybe a political person and that she was paying attention to politics mm -hmm. but she didn't see herself as someone who could participate who had power to actually like engage with the system right. until she engaged in electoral politics and then she was like wait i can do this at this late yeah, age cool. yeah i guess politicians would love a system where like people just step back about, <laughs> but also you talked about how most candidates want to see yard signs with their name on it yeah and that really doesn't matter yeah and you can tell them that doesn't matter but they don't it, care they just want to see yeah, that yeah or uh, bill clinton set of republicans that they want to run just to sit in the seat mm. but it really seems like that's what he wants yeah so like certainly if, like democrats now especially like they're so afraid of actually doing anything yeah so like those people would love it if everybody else felt like oh i can't run that's not for me then only these like opportunistic venal people will do it yeah totally and i think that like once you train people and show them that like this is a system for you the like government i mean it's just a way to like distribute resources and keep the peace right so mm -hmm. it is what we make it and if you can show people that they have power to change the system around them then you are creating the conditions in which they can actually like harness their capacity like first build and then harness their capacity to create like real change you know i mean i worked for a progressive poli like political organizations not because i thought i was a progressive i've known i'm like a communist since a very young age, but because I thought that that was like the best way to create the conditions in which we could have like socialism come to fruition in this country in some version, you know? Yeah. And before that, certainly it's very important to me, as I've mentioned before, that we work to give people things that will make their lives better along the way. Like I'm not an accelerationist. I believe that people need to have their lives made materially better even in small increments as soon as possible, you know, and that that's more meaningful than making things so bad that we have a crazy revolution, mm -hmm. you know, that I don't think that that's like a real yeah. sustainable path forward, yeah. you know. Although there is like accelerationism that is not just the way people say it to me. And okay, I'm using things it colloquially. Worse until, yeah. Colloquially. Yeah. Yeah. We've listened to a lot of... Uh, podcasts and stuff lately like there's that uh trillbilly workers party episode which is a podcast we really like but we hated this episode where they yeah. had somebody on to talk about um gen general things kind of like this and and they uh a lot of like more i guess hard marxist people or people who see themselves as hard marxists i mean i think they, it's like a marxist leninist view really yeah they see this they they say things like the bourgeois state to describe yeah. any state and there's like a real misconception of what the state is or yeah. how it functions which for one thing is very fluid and not stable like the way the state is expected to be in america what it's expected to do or how it's expected to like constitute itself has changed so much from 1918 or 1818 yeah it's also like again like literally what we make it which is different things at different times like yeah. you're saying like you know and, and rich people dominate it is that's true but it's because money has such an influence over the world as it is and politics as it is yeah and if those two aspects were changed then it wouldn't 
necessarily be a bourgeois state anymore run by and for you know yeah capital there's absolutely nothing that says that the state inherently has to be bourgeois i mean this is i guess some like political science stuff but you know there are many many ways to organize a state that's why like when you go into i mean i would say even like a you know early like a I don't know, government class, but certainly like a poli-sci 101 class, one of the main things that, you know, the first things that you read is about like the social contract and like Mm -hmm. Locke's idea versus Rousseau's idea. And like, you know, one of the, obviously the big things is like keeping the peace, right? That's why like, yeah, right. You have, you can have the peace kept by a Leviathan, right? Or you can have the peace kept by having, you know, ideas of natural rights and how like your rights end where they impinge on my rights. And, you know, I mean, these are like very basic concepts, but I guess they need to be like re-verbalized from time to time because otherwise we forget that these are just, I mean, explicitly social constructions. And it's up to us to like the government, like, and it's up to us to decide what the government, what the state is, what we want from it, what it actually means, how we conceptualize peace. Like those are really open-ended questions that, don't have to be just because we've lived with peace meaning a certain thing i think in a lot of cases especially like if you live in a more you know policed area maybe a more urban area or whatever like it does feel like a leviathan type of peace where it's like we keep the peace because if anybody you know does anything there there's like a serious penalty so there's peace but it's peace under fear you know like yeah which is like very different than even the piece of, I don't know, like a suburban community where it's like the police officers are essentially there to serve the people who live there, you know? Just because we live with peace or one concept of peace or we're used to that or one concept of the state and we're used to that doesn't mean. Yeah. But I guess if there is one thing that the state always does and is always meant to do, it is keep the peace, you know? Yeah. But. Well- yeah, I mean, I think that distributing resources is a close second because obviously, like, as soon as you have a central power that everyone is giving up some of their own power yeah. and rights to, you have the um, potential to have that power captured. You or, know? It, like, it, it always would be that way because you are at least guaranteeing property rights. Yeah, true. If that's, that's what the true. state does, yeah. Yeah, so that's it always, true. it can't be like, abstracted away from the the role of deciding who gets what or who gets to keep what or how we distribute totally Uh, one time uh we were looking at um chef from southern charm and he had like a tweet or instagram or something where he was like talking about how much like he hates taxes or whatever and we were like but my dude like that's what helps like that's why you have a fortune is yeah. because we pay taxes to the police to like protect <laughs> yeah. your property and keep order and peace and without that like you wouldn't be this yeah. like guy who could be like oh my um aunt or great aunt or was whatever was jordan baker from the great gatsby like the character <laughs> that she's based on and shit you know that's funny he's also 40 now and never works He's never, no, had a he's job. never had a job. So yeah. presumably they have money from land or something. You know. I think from a lot of different investments over the years, over being a rich yeah. family for many, many generations. I mean, there's a cocker spaniel or something uh, breed named after their family. They're, they have like an island that's named after their family. So they've been 
wealthy South Carolinians for a long, long, long time. I guess from slave money is what we're really trying to say. He doesn't have to work because his family has a lot of slave money. Yeah. Oh, it's getting loud. But that Okay, that lid makes it a lot better. Yeah, I just had to put a little bit of oil in with the... Yeah. Okay, well, is there anything else you want to say about that? I feel like we're, our discussion's too, like, general right now for me to answer that question. Well, I was just gonna... Okay. Let's just keep talking. Okay. Well, I just to? wanted to also mention that, like, um, also in terms of electoral politics, like, in a much more, I guess, concrete, less general way, to talk about Bernie a little bit. Because... Oh, I do have one general thing to say, though. <laughs> of course. Okay. <laughs> just that either, like, you know, if you want to radically transform the way society is organized, and uh, by radically, I just mean, like, make things better for a majority of people, specifically workers, right? Yeah. Then uh, you either have to change the way things are organized from within the system or from without it. Yeah. And if you're changing it from without the system, does that mean that you have to challenge it, you know, violently or wait for it to collapse and then fill that vacuum? So I don't think those are even worth your time, really, today in 2018. Like you can prepare, yeah. You know, you can it, you can join the John Brown militia or whatever. That shit's super cool. Um, also, it's important to have some people who can you know defend yeah. us if things get really bad, if fascists start taking over or whatever. Yeah. But uh, I don't think anybody who is spending their time thinking about how we can overthrow the government. I don't know that anybody's even doing that because it would be such a waste of time. Yeah. And the first way to get your movement completely crushed and erased. Totally. Especially in the world we live in where the, you know, if, if you were doing it a hundred years ago, we didn't have intelligence agencies. But now, you know, forget the problem of firepower. You're not even going to be able to, like, communicate amongst yourselves without that being sent yeah, straight up to the FBI. Yeah, a problem during, like, the Bush years when they're in the anti- uh, war protest movement, right? Like, where they were putting in, like, FBI agents in the groups, and then there were reports about that, and then people stopped trusting each other in the yeah. groups, and basically the entire peace movement fell apart. Yeah. So now, when everybody has a listening device in their pocket, like... I, I feel yeah. like it's not cool to say, but we need a movement that can succeed completely in the open, being, you know, virtually completely transparent. Yeah, like, I agree. I know if you're organizing a rally, you want to keep people safe from arrest, so you use things like Signal to be secure and stuff, all that's important. But at least in America, I mean, I think the only way you can successfully transform things is to spend your energy going through the political system, whether that means winning elections or, you know, building mass movements to pressure policies to change. Yeah. I think that's really all you can do. Yeah, totally. And I think and, there's a huge potential there. Yeah. Because we don't see the state the way a lot of people do as just inherently, you know, um, ontologically opposed to workers. Right. I mean, it, it doesn't have to be. And I would say that, like, if you do look a little bit into, like, I mean, there's obviously a lot of different Marxist theory, but, like, one of the kind of basic concepts is essentially that... Um, capitalism would like just like a it's almost like a graph right of like on like the y-axis wait you know what i'm talking about no. <laughs> it's like i think of it like a graph where you have like 
productivity over time. So on the y-axis, you'd have like productivity and on the x-axis, you'd have time. Mm -hmm. And as like capitalism continues and continues, it's almost like a exponential graph, like a parabola, kind of, or like a half a parabola. Productivity is going up and we're yeah. having more and it's going time and more and it's getting straight, you know, it goes from like a curve to becoming like straighter and more mm -hmm. vertical very quickly, mm -hmm. right? Like towards like, I guess, infinity. Um, and uh, basically the only thing that kind of slows it down from hitting that vertical, vertical line is government regulation. That's why like business people don't like government regulation because mm -hmm. essentially the idea is that that's slowing down productivity, production, yeah. and essentially it's slowing down capitalism. Yeah, yeah. So to think of it as, as only being anti-worker or as being inherently anti-worker is to just ignore like some of the most basic things that we know about yeah. government and our experiences of government. And ignore what capitalists say about their own situation, right? Yeah, exactly. Like they're opposed to a lot of government functions. Exactly, because it inherently does or can yeah. be harnessed to protect workers. They spend all the time to craft this propaganda machine to make us think government is bad when it regulates business. Exactly, like, yeah. exactly. Yeah, and I guess I also just want to say, like, you know, we're talking about this in terms of, like, what's realistic and what's strategic. But if we want to talk about, like, you know, I'm very uh, utopian, I guess, or, like, idealistic or whatever, you know. I know what I want. Like, I want, uh, like, anarcho-communist, libertarian socialist world in the end. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying, like, oh, let's just do some participating in electoral politics and stop there, right? Like, I mean, mm -hmm. we have, like, grander visions for what type of, you know, world we'd ultimately like to live in, and I think we, we can, like, articulate those in a way that, like, I don't know that, like, liberals or someone like that can articulate, like, a grand vision for no, their the ideal world. No, the liberal vision is 1998. Yeah. Like they were in 1998. Yeah. yeah. You know, I really believe in, like, like, local economies, local control, um, workers having control over like the yeah. things that they produce and grow and things like that. Yeah. I would like to see like a you know more anarchist socialism win out in the end. Obviously, like where it's much more like decentralized and basically. I mean, the whole reason that I think anyone should be like a communist or socialist or anarchist is for ultimately because it gives you the greatest amount of freedom while being able to live cohesively in a society like society yeah. you know like so anything that would allow people to have the most freedom making decisions over their lives how they spend their day how they work what they do what they produce what they you know consume yeah, yeah. like all those things that right now those like when conservatives talk about freedom almost like what the fuck are they talking right. about because these are the freedoms that actually like matter day to day to regular human yeah, beings yeah. And, like, that's what I care about the most in the end, which is why, like, I can't get behind, you know, like, centrally planning an economy or something like that. Like, yeah. Maybe if that's beneficial for something, you know. Or, like, what does that mean, right? Let's not get into yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, you can have <laughs> central programs to address climate change or something like that. Obviously, no, no leftist would oppose that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. What was I going to say? I don't know. I, sh I should know what I was going to say. I was thinking about it. I was not. I was only like seventy percent listening to you because I was trying to hold on to what I was going to say. But um, oh, political scientists talk about it. What you're saying in terms of freedom from and freedom to. Right. Yeah. Yes. So, conservatives only believe in freedom from government yes. intervention and whatever. 
But, you know, on the left, we believe in freedom, too. Yes. That you need money to live. So you should have enough money that, that you don't have to worry about how you're going to eat or where you're going to... Or not have your house money is anymore be. as a concept, but yeah. Because if you're worried about feeding yourself or diseases you can't address or homelessness, you don't really have any freedom. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So we want to extend freedom uh, too, yeah. as people on the left or socialists. And on the right, you know, it's like they're obsessed with this notion that equality can be oppressive if it's equality of outcomes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like, oh, we can't have government imposing outcomes on us to make sure we're all equal that's fascism yeah but in reality if you don't do that to some degree then people aren't able to live their lives yeah 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 you're actually taking from them the potential yeah yeah you're taking their choices away exactly yeah we don't really have choice under capitalism as we have it right because the idea is that the market acts rationally so you really only have one rational choice no matter what your decision is yeah, it's I like mean, predetermined it's, for you. Yeah, yeah. If you actually don't have to rely on the market to survive, then you truly have freedom to pursue. If you worked five hours a day, you would have time to come home and pursue some creative project or research something, learn about something, yeah, craft something. I know. I always can't help but think about all the things that like we could accomplish or that could be done if people had the free time to like pursue their interests or mm-hmm. if people's interests weren't you know harnessed by like the need to survive basically yeah. you know yeah like, so i think it's an achievable and socialist and mar- sufficiently marxist goal to like win enough gains in the political system that you can reduce the work week to like 25 hours yeah and then you know if, if that's not like sufficiently marxist for you because there would still be markets or you would still have a bourgeois state like but it's a I, process like, i mean Capitalism is a process, too. You know, like, we didn't start here, right? Like, it's been, it happens over time. Like, that's a that's a, a point, right? Like, one point in the process would be, like, winning, you know, like, truly universal health care, not single payer. That would be a, right. a small step. A, one benchmark might be truly universal health care, right? Then another benchmark might be reducing the work week, you know? Another benchmark might be um, UBI, but like with guarantees on in terms of like housing, mm-hmm. uh, obviously healthcare. We already mentioned or a job education, guarantee. whatever is actually better. I have no idea. I think UBI because I don't really like the idea of that you tying have to, to, to yeah. yeah tie survival to work. Right. Like so, I and I think that if you control for certain things, like I totally understand when people are like, but then rent's gonna skyrocket. Right. You know, like. I didn't mean to derail you. Okay, I'm just saying. I have a strong opinion on it. I do know which one's better. <laughs> uh, you know, and then, like, so on and so on. So that's why, like, because at each point, I think that, like, right now, it's so hard for people to imagine that we could have our housing, healthcare, education taken care of, and things would be okay. You know, like, that woman that went to the Ocasio-Cortez um rally in Canton was it in Kansas or wherever? <laughs> the one from the Daily College. Yeah. And she was like, oh, I felt so uncomfortable. Yeah, and yeah. I can't imagine believing that the government should guarantee my child health care and education, she, but I can see how that's alluring. Yeah, you know? she was like, I as a, I wish I had the quote in front of me because it was so ridiculous, like her word choice. Yeah. Because she was like, uh, 
oh, I can see how I could be seduced by the idea that my children have the right to an education and good health. Yeah. And that is so frightening. Yeah. To use the word frightening. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, that's That's how how brainwashed people. Yeah. That's how far we are right now from people being able to accept the concept that like. That they fucking deserve to live. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why we need to, like, make some gains. And I think electoral politics is a good place to make some gains that aren't going to, like, rock anybody's boat or scare them too much to lead to, like, a, you know, a platform, a place where we can say, okay, we need to make bigger, much more systemic changes that, like, legitimately challenge capital, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. I definitely think, like, obviously dismantling capitalism has to be the crux of our project but i don't think that if you advocate for electoral changes that won't immediately (laughs) you know start to dismantle capitalism that you're somehow like a a, reformist yeah or like a deficient marxist or whatever you know like in in reality like what's the alternative the alternative is to create a crisis that collapses things and to rebuild in its weight. Yeah. But look how strong capital gets after every crisis. I know. They really know how, especially neoliberalism, really knows how to harness a crisis, man, you know? We might make more progress if if society tends towards a more progressive liberalism. We might have more progress in that society pulling it even more towards, you know, workers' freedoms and libertarian socialism than, I don't know, (laughs) trying to take advantage of a crisis or create one yeah i think absolutely yeah. i mean they're really well and i'm talking in it. just theoretical i don't think anybody is really thinking oh we need to overthrow this fucking american government with this gigantic military yeah i don't yeah. think anybody is seriously entertaining that I hope but not. too many people talk as if that's the only way yeah i just you're not gonna win that way yeah. <laughs> you're just gonna end up in jail and that's not really useful to anybody i'm also not interested in like joining a movement that would reduce political freedoms, like yeah. institute a one-party state totally. that you don't have a democratic say in. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. The main reason to be, I think, a socialist, a communist, a Marxist, whatever, yeah. anarchist, is because you want to maximize people's freedom, not, yeah. you know, take away a choice we already have, which is, like, who's in control of the government. Yeah. Okay, am I just rambling? Should we eat? Yeah, let's eat, and then we'll okay. come back to this. Okay, okay, and we're back. We're back. <laughs> I was thinking that too. Why did why does somebody say it like that? Um, I think we say uh, it like that on the Daily Zeitgeist. guys. That's right. Yeah. Should we do a fake commercial? If if you have one in mind, I don't know if I. I don't have one in mind. <laughs> Let's skip it. Okay. Um, we'd have to like do a whole separate. We don't do bits. Fake commercial. We've never done a bit before. Yeah, it doesn't really feel authentic to no. our relationship. <laughs> oh, we're doing bits all the time. <laughs> we're always working on something. Oh God, we'd be so insufferable. Doing routines at home, getting ready. <laughs> Although I did think of something the other day that I thought was so funny, and I wanted to say on the podcast because I thought it was such a great idea, and it's like <laughs> totally gone. But I was like, oh, that's gonna be so funny. It's <laughs> <laughs> I think that's why we never actually make jokes on here is because we're like, I don't know, as soon as like the microphone turns on, my mind turns blank and I'm just like, oh, okay, we just have to say the smartest shit we can think of to get through this episode. <laughs> okay, so the next thing that I thought we should talk about is, um, I guess, like a little like 
electoral politics a little more concretely in terms of like Bernie Sanders, like and upcoming election. Like I've seen a lot of people um, online because that's the only place I actually talk to people <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, saying that like they don't want to have a repeat of 2016. They don't want Bernie to run. They want someone new to come along. Bernie's too old. Bernie didn't say abolish ICE. Right, right. Um, there's like a lot of criticism of Bernie. And um, if you're new, welcome. We are very pro-Bernie and we always will be. <laughs> so if you don't feel that way, this is a good time for you to peace on out. No. <laughs> <laughs> we have Bernie face tattoos. Yeah, on our faces, All over right. top of our actual faces. We got tattoos just to look like old men. <laughs> old Jewish men. <laughs> the hottest look in town. Uh, you know, I think that there are very good arguments for why um, Sorry. we should want Bernie to run again, and we should support Bernie in running again. Um, if you, like, listen back to our catalog, we are, like, legitimately supporters of Bernie. I mean, we have been mm -hmm. openly. But it's not like we just like love him, I don't know, because he's so cool right. or something. It's more like Although strategic. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'll just start out by pointing out that Bernie has the highest favorability rating of any politician on either side of the spectrum. Yeah. In any of the branches of government. <laughs> <laughs> And that's not something you throw away. <laughs> yeah, that's a good argument. Um, it's like incredibly. I can't. I, yeah, I can't even think of the words. Like, I can't imagine having. I guess the hubris or whatever to think that we can win without yeah. him, and or to think that that's yeah. not so important that we shouldn't continue placing him front and center. Politics is a game. There are winners and losers, yeah. <laughs> and when you have an advantage like this that lets you win the game, yeah, yeah. you should fucking take it and win and fucking slam dunk, like, yeah, not yeah. just shoot the hoop, but, like, if you can slam it in there, you should do that. Yeah, yeah, and, like, the way that Hillary was the worst possible person to be run against Trump. Yeah. Because every one of his strengths was one of her weaknesses. Yeah, um, but even, like, he just ran last time, and now we have socialists winning seats across the nation. Yeah, yeah. That, because he changed people's idea of what's possible right. for a socialist. Imagine if he won. Like, that's nothing to, like, sneeze at or throw away. And I think the people who want someone pure to run or win are forgetting what politics is, you know? And that it's not, yeah. I think we heard on Dead Pundits or somewhere someone say that uh, politics isn't like a way to express like the purest form of your beliefs or something like mm. that. You know, that's, that's like what church is for or whatever. Right. You know, politics is a place where we compete, people lose, people win, and we need to win and we need to do everything we can to win. And having someone like Bernie there, someone who many people talk about Trump voters in their lives who yeah. like Bernie, who would have voted for Bernie if he was an option. Yeah. Like you said, there's, I think, a lot of things where everything that Hillary was weak on, Bernie is not and could have attacked Trump, actually, with a lot yeah. of those things. Yeah. Um, I've also seen people talk about, oh, well, he's too old. I would say that that's okay. I mean, he's fine. Like, he's not senile. He's, he's not really any older than Trump or Hillary, right? Yeah. Maybe by a couple of years. But also, like... I think that can also be a plus because, like, you know, I mean, some people say, well, he's just said the same thing for 40 years. But it's like, yeah, 
he said the same thing for 40 years. Yeah. That's great. Like, maybe he's a little slow to evolve on certain issues, or he doesn't always say exactly what you want to hear on certain issues, but you know where he stands. Like, he's not bullshitting you. Yeah, yeah. You know, people said, oh, Hillary That's, Clinton. He has the receipts for his beliefs. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, when people are like, oh, Hillary Clinton ran with the most left-wing platform in history, Bernie would actually be the most left-wing president in history. He says he's a socialist. So if you oppose him for not being socialist enough, is there ever going to be anybody that you're willing to support, you know? I mean, before Bernie ran, there was barely a left in this country that was... Politically, electorally. Ele- yes. Yeah. That was in any way holding any power. Yeah. And we're we're getting there. People are starting to run, and we've got the um, doctor in Flint and uh, in, in uh, Dearborn, Michigan, who's running. Right? We have Ocasio Cortez. There's the guy, the I think he was a Nigerian immigrant that won in Alabama. I mean, people yeah. are coming out of all over the place. Incredible people. People I'm really excited about. But they're not going to be ready to run in 2020. You know, <laughs> like, uh, yeah. and just because. You know, there are other more exciting candidates coming up doesn't mean that they're going to be a good option for us. And it's just we just have to accept where we are as a movement in this country, where we are in 2018 and where we're going to be in 2020. And that's not that far yet. And I guess I don't want to make it seem like we think Bernie is some great man of history. No. And now that he ran in 2016, we're building a socialist movement because of him. No, but he... Uh, it's it's really a moment that is creating that, and he had a big role in that moment by running and being so visible, pushing it even faster. He's also faster always been pushing towards that moment. I mean, he's yeah. been running as a, openly as a socialist his entire career. You know, like right. when we voted for him in Vermont as a senator, it said you know I, but it also said socialist next to his name, yeah. right? Like, so he's. I mean, he held his uh, running that way created a space for someone like Kashama Sawant to run too, right? Because mm-hmm. there was someone who was a socialist even then on the national scale, it was a lot easier for people to imagine that a local, per, you know, politician could be successful as a socialist, right? Like, um, and I think that, like, yeah, he's not a great man of history or whatever. I don't believe in that no, exactly. vision of history. Exactly, that's why I wanted to. Yeah, but at the same time, like, this is America, and a lot of times when... A lot of times in this country, people don't know what's possible until they see it on TV. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. You know? Um, and I just think that, like, seeing him actually be accepted as a legitimate candidate, be on TV, get a lot of press, yeah. get a lot of media. I mean, there's a lot of people who are, you know, now too pure for Bernie, but who weren't yeah. socialists before they even, they didn't know who Bernie even was before he ran, oh, yeah. you know? So it's hard to deny that he opened people's horizons, There are people you know? with, you know, pretty popular left-wing podcasts who are like, oh, two years ago, I didn't know anything about yeah. politics. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, uh, which is fine. Oh, but I mean, talking the, about, the, you know, it being on TV, being important, when we were watching Dawson's Creek recently, it must have been the year 99 or 2000, and one of the characters um, was talking to a friend who was closeted gay and saying, look, we live in a post-Will and Grace moment. Like, representation from a materialist point of view is bullshit, and, like, obviously um, it doesn't help the world if there are more black lesbian CEOs or whatever, but 
there is uh, there is importance to representation. Yeah. And to see a successful socialist that everybody likes would help a lot to move yeah. people in that direction. Yeah. I will... Also, oh. No, go ahead. No, no, you should go. Well, I was just going to say he's like... I want to talk about... I have two things in mind that I definitely want to talk about. Okay. Like, one about purity politics, and maybe we can distinguish what we're saying from Democrats who are like, you know, well, we just have to vote for these centrist Democrats because that's what will win. That's what we can do in this moment. So you have to vote for us. Yeah. And I also want to talk about, uh, and this is probably briefer, so we can do this first, but like Bernie will probably certainly win if he runs in the primary, because what's the field going to look like? I know. It would be Bernie. It would be Kristen Gillibrand, Cory Booker, Kamala Kamala Harris. Harris, Chris Murphy. Right. You know, some assembly of these kind of center on the spectrum from center to center left Democrats. Yeah. A big gaggle of them. And then you have Bernie. Yeah. He's the only one in that position. He doesn't have to compete with anybody else. Yeah. They're all for fighting for the centrist position, basically. Yeah. Except I think that the Chapo guys are right when they say that Kristen Gillibrand is a shark and she'll tack left to win. And Yeah, which I appreciate She's on already some level. been like, doing that. I don't want to shit on her for doing that. No, I do, like, because I don't believe in anyone that has to be pulled to the left that they'll actually govern that way. We've been doing that for years, and as soon as they get into power, they absolutely do yeah. not govern that way. And it's like a cynical ploy for power. And but, but also, if, no, it's a no sign thanks. that we're winning. Like, Oh, yeah, if, sure. If the left becomes ascendant, it's a it's a good sign that people start doing that. Like politicians who most of them just want to sit in the seat, right? Yeah. Start adopting the language and the policies that are more left wing. Yeah. So like I wanna give her some kudos for, for doing that and getting ahead of the curve. I mean, kudos to you for being a good politician, you know, also. <laughs> like I think there is that's yeah. that's skillmanship. Skillsmanship or whatever, right? Like that's a she knows how to play the game. Yeah. But, but I can't believe the number of people that I've seen being like, oh, Kirsten Gillibrand 2020 over Bernie because she said abolish off. ICE. It's like, oh, have you ever off. looked into who Kirsten Gillibrand is? All right, like, that's a great segue. But real quick, I just want to be clear that in the primary situation, right, in that field, Bernie will definitely pull at least like 34 or 40% of the votes. Yeah. So if he's running in the primary, he's going to start winning real quick. Yeah. Like, yeah. he's going to be amassing votes I real agree. quick. I agree. But, like, okay, so let's talk about abolish ICE and, and like, purity politics. Okay. Um, so Bernie didn't say abolish ICE at first, right? Right. And some of these politicians who are really not as socialist or left-wing were saying abolish ICE. Right. And then uh, people... Kamala Harris had come out a few months ago saying that ICE was absolutely necessary, and now all of a sudden <laughs> she's like, oh, we could rethink this. We could, uh, you know? And then people try to press these opportunistic politicians who are just adopting this language on it and suddenly they don't know what it means to say that or everybody has conflicting ideas about it for example some democrats in the house introduced abolished ice legislation right? right and it wasn't going anywhere so they said to paul ryan look if you put this bill on the floor and this bill maybe it abolished ice but it just took the same shit they were doing and gave it to different agencies apparently and they said look paul ryan Please put this bill on the floor. We promise we will vote against this, our own bill, if you just let it come to a vote. What the fuck are you, are you doing? Yeah. So it doesn't matter that they say abolish ICE. They're actually literally going to vote against it when it's not even what they're doing in the first place. Yeah. So if your um, litmus test for a politician is, do you say the right words? 
it's meaningless. Like, yeah. These are just words. What matters is the intent behind them. It's very much like the way Republicans, they have their magic words. You've got to say yeah. Islamic extremist terrorism. <laughs> yeah. They talk about that all the time, especially if you listen to like AFR, you know, and it's like, I don't know what they think, especially during the Obama years. My God, it was like they were obsessed with hearing those words. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know what these words do for you, but they're, it's not a, an incantation. Nothing yeah. is going to materially change in the world because someone speaks these magic words. Mm -hmm. And yet that's how people are acting on the left now as well. And to be clear, we are absolutely for abolish ICE, 100%. Like, abolish ICE, abolish DHS, yeah. abolish um, border control, abolish... I mean, abolish borders. I'm all for yeah. it. Like, you know, I, 100%. Please don't misunderstand. But when Bernie, what people didn't like was that afterward, like when Bernie said something, he said, like, we need to like rethink this and like reorganize and stuff like that. I felt like that like pissed people off. But that really surprised me because to me, that's like someone who is legitimately thinking about, okay, how do we actually do this? How right. do we actually, right? Because no one's going to just like abolish, I mean, I wish they would, but no one's just going to abolish ICE and then we don't have... They're and, not even the only agents on the border. You also have CBP, right? Also, like before ICE and uh, Homeland Security and stuff, right? We had, um, what was it called? INS. Uh, INS, yeah. And th they didn't have the same funding that ICE does. But they still had some funding and they did sometimes yeah. go after people and deport people. Right. So and this isn't, it's not like a problem that begins and ends with ICE and we just yeah. get rid of ICE and we get rid of this problem. Also, I think ICE has more latitude than INS, right? Yeah, yeah, because, yeah. But well, they because... have funding specifically to do this, whereas yeah. ICE, I mean, uh, and INS. INS, thank you. <laughs> um, their job, like all of my immigration stuff was processed through INS, for example. So they had to do all the shit of like babies like me coming in with green mm -hmm. cards, becoming citizens, whatever, and then also deal with like, okay, well, the, the, here's some bad guys who we definitely need to like. So they had to prioritize basically because they had because they had to do both. Yeah, and they, they had just few resources people. exactly yeah. to do that. So they had to really prioritize. Okay, well, this is really truly a bad yeah. person versus like you know now where it's like well. Basically, the more people we deport, the more we justify our existence. Right. You know, and that's why abolish ICE is a good position from a policy standpoint too. Because if, but only because if we went back to that reality, things would be a little bit better. Yeah, abolish ICE, but don't stop there. Yeah. Abolish DHS. Abolish exactly, the yeah. fucking Patriot Act. I mean, yeah. this stuff didn't come out of nowhere. The reason ICE has the more more latitude and, and a better position to just be assholes is because they're part of DHS. Yeah. Yeah. And get rid of part the, of the Patriot DHS Act. Like, the Patriot Act has sunset clauses. Next time, all these Democrats that want to abolish ICE, don't pass the Patriot Act. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I don't know. To me, like, just, I guess, hearing Bernie say magic words isn't very meaningful or that he didn't say them isn't very meaningful also like we've talked about this a lot but i'll bring it up again we when we lived in vermont we went to a town hall meeting with bernie where yeah, this was our senator and there this, were people this there some, like inside baseball <laughs> specifically. yeah this one time yeah um and there were people there who are very upset who like otherwise love bernie but were very upset about these like f-15s or whatever there's some of those fighter jets they have now that are insanely loud yeah yeah. And they were like flying over um 
their homes and people were upset about their property mm-hmm. values going down. And they were basically saying to Bernie, I've vo- always voted for you, but I'm not going to vote for you this time if you don't do something about these goddamn uh, planes or if you don't yeah. take like our position. They were pretty well organized. They were like in front of the meeting. Handing out stickers. Handing out literature and stuff. And yeah, I saw it and I was like, oh, this sounds like a shitty thing that Bernie supports. I wish he wasn't supporting this. Yeah. Effort. Yeah. But his position was essentially like, no, I've thought about this. I support it because, for one thing, it brings jobs to Vermont. So first he's giving his reasons, right? Yeah. And he, for one thing, Vermont has some sort of like local air force that Vermonters are really proud of. Mm-hmm. And he was like, if we don't get these to come here, we'll basically lose this little air force that we have that people are proud of. And... Uh, and these, those jobs and people will go elsewhere. Yeah, those these, people will spend their to, money elsewhere. Yeah, right? he said, like, us refusing these planes, they're just going to go somewhere else. Yeah. So it's not about me being pro-military. It's just about me being it was a very or whatever. Yeah, and it was a very nimby attitude that the people had. Exactly, yeah. Because they lived right next to yeah. them. They didn't want the noise. They were afraid of their... They said, like, oh, I don't like that this is militaristic, but... They were worried about their property values. Yeah. No, they, I mean, they, a lot of people talked openly about being worried about their property values. But also, I think that, you know, probably a part of Bernie's feelings about it is like, well, if it's not here and we send it over there, what's the, you know, I think he's yeah. much more systemic. So I feel like his feeling was like, what's the difference? Right. The it's only difference is that we lose some benefits, but nothing about this program is going away, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So one woman who was uh, really on this issue stood up, and we started getting really irritated because this is all anybody could talk about. Yeah, we wanted to hear they were about totally other issues. They monopolizing the and, discussion. Yeah. And one woman stood up and yeah, stood up and said, "Yeah, I've uh, I've always supported you, and like this is like breaking my heart that you're doing this." Um, and Bernie said, "Look, you don't have to vote for me. I don't need your vote. I'm going to win anyway." <laughs> <laughs> and we wanted Which to is, like that's big dick up. energy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but also, he pointed out that you don't have to agree 100% with a politician. That was, yeah, that was his point. Yeah, in that order to vote for them. And you won't agree with a, a politician yep. 100% of the time. And that's okay, you know? Yep. And when I look at the potential people who could run and the likelihood of any of them winning, even without his incredible advantage of favorability rating, I agree with him on the most issues out of any of those people yeah like 90 is like funded almost single-handedly by um contractor like military contractors oh, and um wall street i mean she's a new york senator <laughs> yeah that's not for me so i don't care if she says abolish ICE yeah if she says all the right words yeah. yeah even if she did abolish ice i'm worried about all the other shit she's gonna do <laughs> you know totally. like I agree with Bernie on most issues, most of the time, certainly more than I do with any other prominent politician that could possibly run. Yeah, yeah. And when Bernie was saying, you're never going to agree with a politician 100%, you shouldn't be, he said, like, you shouldn't expect to, you shouldn't be looking for that. Yeah. That's the That's problem. That's purity is that, politics. And also, the the sort of centrist Dems and Republicans, too, of the 90s, mm. Dems still today, thought that totally. is how politics should be totally. run. So they focus grouped everything and they tried to say as little yeah. as possible. Yeah. And that's how they still think elections should be won. That's why centrist Dems are writing op-eds that are like, abolish ICE, that's how Trump wins. Because they still think we can only win if we don't make anybody mad, yeah. if we don't challenge anybody's ideas or conceptions. We don't take a stand or an issue on, on anything. anything. It's like Hillary Clinton. We try to be everything to everyone. And she's your abuela carrying hot sauce, you know, in yeah. her purse. But she's also 
uh, able to hobnob with George Clooney, but she's also, <laughs> you know, uh, a feminist hanging out with Gloria Steinem. But she's also like, pro-small business. Her yeah, dad yeah. was a business owner. Right. But, um, and that's also one of the reasons they love to hide behind wonkishness, because that's, Hillary would prefer to have voluminous details right. about her policy on her website that right. nobody's going to dig into, rather than take a clear stance on anything. Right. And they should have realized, they should have realized a long time ago, but at least during the 2016 election, that that is a losing strategy. Like, you've got to come out and say simple things that people can understand, that they understand will be good for them. How fucking obvious is that? Trump, by contrast, just said whatever the fuck came into his head at that moment, but stood by it like he believed it, (laughs) and people were with him, you know? I mean, it was refreshing. Yeah, yeah, and that's why people like him. When he wasn't being, um, like, disgusting towards immigrants or, you know, minorities, it was refreshing. Yeah. Do we need to say more about how... What we're saying, like, you should support Bernie, how that's distinct from saying you should vote for Hillary when she's the nominee. Um, sure. Do you want to say it? Do you want to say something? Uh, well, I, I don't know exactly what I should say. Well, there. I mean, I think it's distinct because I think that this is someone that, like I said, like, on a majority of issues I have agreement with and has the track record to mm-hmm. be trustworthy as a public figure, as a candidate has the potential not only to win but to I, I would say if this is a moment then to make the moment bigger you know to extend the moment so it's not just a fleeting moment mm-hmm. by running again and stuff like that like I think that when Bernie runs it is truly more about us as an as a movement than it is just about him whereas when someone like Hillary runs it was it's her turn it's about her you know and it's not, I don't think that most people who are telling you to vote for Hillary had any kind of faith that she was going to make your life better. Right. It was just that she was like an avatar for them. But it was mainly about like um, browbeating people, I feel like, into submitting, especially like leftists. You know, yeah. there was a lot of this desire to, I think, like assert dominance over the left by pushing us to vote for Hillary. Yeah. Whereas, when we tell you, like, you should vote for Bernie, it's not because we want to dominate the left. That's why I'm telling you, like, he's the best option we have. Yeah. Not saying he's the best ever submit to my will, you know? <laughs> yeah. Also, common wisdom for a long time has been that, you know, people who are progressive or even further left than that have nowhere to go. So Democrats mm-hmm. don't have to do anything to address their, you know, concerns or desires. And when you're voting for Bernie, so that's why... You know, we're never people that would tell you you absolutely have to vote no matter what, no. or you need to vote for Democrats because they're not Republicans, no. and we don't believe in voting for someone just because it's the lesser evil if they're no. still bad. But if you can vote for something that's actively good, go for it, even if they're not 100% perfect. Or, and by perfect, I mean 100% agree with you, right? Yeah. And also, vote for him to be the nominee if that's the best choice. Not because Democrats are better than Republicans, but because he actually challenges the Democratic Party. Yeah. You know, it's not like Democrats say, oh, if only you voted for us, if only we we won, we would be able to do left wing things. If we had more support, we'd be able to give you these things that you want. But we saw when they had power that they weren't interested in doing anything. Yeah. Actually, left wing. They were interested in health care that makes everybody buy insurance or bailouts for banks and not people. Right. But it's different when you vote for Bernie, who says that he's a socialist, does things that are socialist, even if it's not exactly the type of socialism that you would like to see in an ideal world. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. 
I mean, and, yeah, it's not about voting for people that are good enough so that we have more of them in politics. It's about just voting so that for things, something that's actually I good. guess for me, the big thing is that when someone tells you to vote for Hillary or whatever, it's to maintain the status quo, right? So that things don't get worse by voting for a Republican. Yeah, yeah. But when or, I'm telling you to vote for Bernie, I'm telling you vote for Bernie because things will change if we vote for yeah, Bernie. Yeah, good point. Whether it's that he will win and things will change or just that even more people will learn about democratic socialism and things will change because he can help us extend the moment and things will change because more people run after he runs, you know, like (laughs) there's a lot of good reasons to expect that change comes with voting for Bernie. Yeah. That's a good point. It made me think of a slightly less good point, but I don't remember now. So that's (laughs) okay. (laughs) Well, do you think we talked about purity politics enough and why they suck? I Mm -hmm. guess people know why. Yeah. Okay, so we kind of covered Bernie and the reasons that electoral politics are good and that you should get involved. And I guess we talked about the kind of bigger political philosophy stuff, too, or at least talked a little bit about, like, our versions of utopia and, like, mm. why, like, we can't really ever get down with a, you know, one-state party situation or central planning or anything like that. Yeah, could mention that book again that I keep mentioning. The hatred of democracy. Only a democratic system of governance is really um, a legitimate form of, of politics. Because it, as he lines out, as he lays out in the hatred of democracy, any other form of government, it, whether it's like oligarchy or like a dictatorship based on military strength, or you know a gerontocracy where oldest people rule, or an epistemocracy where the most educated and knowledgeable people rule. All of those are just an attempt to take some other supposedly natural hierarchy and impose it on the state. Yeah. Only democracy has no basis for who should rule or why they should rule, and that's what makes it politics. So any other form of government is just domination. But Mm -hmm. democracy gives you the opportunity to actually govern yourself. So I think the goal of any socialist project needs to be, if we want to extend freedom and, and have a more liberatory system then it needs to be democratic because anything else is just is just domination. That's why I'm a big fan of the idea of like small scale local politics as sort of like an organizing force in a more utopian, more anarchist world. Because also like we've traveled like and lived all across this country, right? And until we went to uh Washington state or something like that, I had no idea what towns even like really looked like there let alone what life is like there you know when we lived in ohio i couldn't have imagined what life in texas is really like what it's like to live here in the heat of summer summer after summer Mm -hmm. versus when we lived in burlington and and living through winters in burlington and you know actually having to like hunker down for a blizzard and stuff like that it was a very different experience like you just don't know what it's like to live somewhere until you fucking live there. And the idea that the best form of government wouldn't be like local people making decisions over their own lives and knowing, you know, their economy, their agriculture, their situation best. Like, I just can't understand how you, how you wouldn't get down with that idea, I guess, you know, I guess that's an anti-colonial perspective too. Yeah, you for know, sure. Not to say America needs to impose um, conditions on South America that are beneficial to business, because that's what is best. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think that, you know, when you give local people local, like, control over their economy, you're never going to have, like, a monoculture of soybean production or something, right? Because if we're all in charge of feeding ourselves in this town, well, we're going to fucking starve if we only grow soybeans, right? So Mm -hmm. I think you eliminate a lot of problems that arise from federal or international planning and like organizations. And I think that if you have, you know, much more local planning and organizing and control through democratic means, you avoid a lot of the problems that face us and that I think wouldn't be avoided on the flip side by like central planning or one state solution, a one state solution, one state, uh, one party um, control. Yeah. Although some level of national or international cooperation cooperation yeah. organizing is yeah of important. course i mean like we have one world you know like but what i wouldn't want is for someone some international body to tell us like what to grow here or something like yeah. that you know because i think that like that's a situation in which you're you're essentially asking for disaster yeah i also don't see any point in um talking about this stuff in too much specificity because yeah, I know, but I think it's good to, like, imagine. It's good to talk about values and ideas, but it's not good to say, you know, this is the ideal way a society should be organized. No, that's why we're just, we're talking In openly, specifics. imaginatively. Yeah, about. and it is fun to imagine a better world and how it would work and be organized, and uh, that's why, like, I think there's value in that also because there's yeah, absolutely value. It gives in you information about what's happening right now that you think is yeah. deficient and a problem. Yeah, and and sci-fi is a place where you can actually put those ideas and theories into practice yeah. and and produce like visions of a, a different or better world or a worse one even yeah. to motivate us to something better. But ultimately, theory is an attempt to escape practice, which is a quote from Walter Ben Michaels' mm-hmm. piece, the Against Theory piece, and, and like. To, to actually create a better world, you have to look at the conditions we have now and make it better right now. You can't imaginatively come up with some some perfect theory about the way things should work and then try to implement your end goal. You. Uh, but I think that it's important to also like liberate yourself from the framework of feeling like this is how it is. This is how it's always been. You know, like I was listening to someone talk about uh, Man in the High Castle, the Philip K. Dick book, and he, they were talking about how like you know in the book. There is a book called, I forget what it's called, but the point that really stuck out to me is that basically the, there's, you know, this book that's been written about an alternative way that things could have gone in World War II, because obviously in Man in the High Castle, right, America's divided between the Nazis and the Japanese, and this book is written with an alternative history where basically they lost World War II. Where and, we lost World War II. No, where they lost... The book in the book oh, right. is written <laughs> right. in a way where they lost World War II. The, like, so our history. Yeah. The book basically our telling history our is history. Our history in yes. their world. Yeah. yeah. And there's a woman who has the book and she's telling someone else about it. And he gives her a bunch of reasons of why that could never be and that could never have happened. And it's like all... like because of, of these smart and strategic choices that we made, blah, blah, blah. But, so in the book, he's a realist. But we're, we know that, of course, that wasn't inevitable that things would turn out that way. And in fact, it's, it looks absurd to see someone pre- pretending to be a realist and know that something is yeah. inevitable. That's cool. Uh, because we know that it wasn't. Yeah. yeah. 
so that's why I think it's also like important to not default to always being like cynical or you know even realistic even though I was arguing that earlier that it's realistic mm-hmm. for Bernie but you know because you know it's important to not get stuck in the framework of like this is all that's possible yeah. and I think that when we dream and imagine bigger ideas like this is what that's why I was saying this is I know what my like socialist utopia would look like right and this is what I would like to see right I'm not saying like that's how it has to be, but I like to imagine that stuff because it helps me know like what I'm working towards, what I want to see. If I don't have that end goal in mind, if I haven't developed for myself some vision of what I'm after, then how will I know if I've made any progress at all towards that, you know? Or if I think that policies or politicians or whatever are worth supporting and pursuing. But you should also be open to, you know, other people have different ideas and of if course. they're moving in the same direction. Of course. Yeah. That's why the first thing I said is electoral politics is good. You know? like yeah. Because it gets people involved. It gets people just started in the same direction. Like That's why I don't understand when people stop there and say, oh, well, that's bad. Because it's like, mm-hmm. wait, you don't even know if these people are going to agree or disagree with you yeah, once yeah. they become political people. You know? I guess, but what I was trying to say was like, don't use your picture of a perfect world, your theory of what it should be, to dismiss... Um, people moving in the same direction who it doesn't match your theory. Like, like if you think we should have a central planning one party state, don't dismiss socialists here in the now who say we should have worker co-ops. Right. Worker co-ops are objectively better than what we have now. So you should support that. Even if you don't think that's the true end goal of true real Marxism. Yeah, of course. That's what I was saying. It's a process. It's a phase. And if at some point we're deciding between worker co-ops or one state, uh, one party, then that's when you start fighting for your belief in the (laughs) one state you know but in the meantime let's all move towards ever more like freedom yeah don't use your your theory to dismiss practice like yeah 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 definitely but also don't be afraid to dream (laughs) absolutely (laughs) okay is there anything else we want to say no probably not maybe always constantly never ending (laughs) I mean I don't, not know. For, I don't know. Not for me, actually. Okay, yeah. I don't think there's anything else I want to say either. Yeah. It's actually... It's it's weird. It, it vacillates between, like, easy for me to podcast, because I constantly have ideas that I want to talk about, mm. and also hard, because I don't necessarily like talking about ideas all the time. Yeah, and I think it's a little bit scary, because, like, it's one thing when you're working through these ideas in your head... Like, I have obviously all of these ideas in my head all the time, mm-hmm. and but then I, like, work through them, and sometimes, like, I edit them or, yeah. you know, kind of, like, rework them or whatever, and then I have different ideas, but you can't go back in a podcast and be like, wait, now yeah. I've changed my mind and I feel this way, or, <laughs> you know, now that I have this evidence, I think that that was a bad idea and this has changed, so it's always a little scary to be, like, so concretely being like this is what i believe you know or for me i don't know if my i think i've broken my brain a bit with like studying poetry and also reading you know post-structuralist theory or whatever or trying to anyway because a lot of times thoughts that i have in my head that seem really clear when i started trying to talk about them i have no idea what to say Mm. which happened just a minute ago when i'm like oh well walter ben michaels wrote that you know, theory is an attempt to escape practice. Yeah. And then I tried to say how it applied, and I was like, well, I don't know. <laughs> it applied <laughs> in my head. Well, no, I think it's clear how it applies. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, this is what we believe 
right now on Saturday. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I mean, I think that in general, we believe these things pretty strongly, but at the same time, like, you know, who knows? We might change. And if you disagree or whatever, that's fine. Even though I was Both joking anyway. and telling you to uh, turn off the podcast, you know, in reality, like, it's okay. And like, we, I mean, Adam mentioned like Trillbillies earlier, like, you know, we like Trillbillies. Like we listen all the time, obviously. Like, yeah, they, and I just would like Tanya to be my friend. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. And just because we were listening to that recent episode, getting very mad and pausing it and talking a lot. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't mean we don't like them or their podcast yeah absolutely i mean that's the whole point of like doing this yeah but also the reason you're pointing it out right is that you shouldn't excommunicate people who like yes. disagree with you about things like this when we're all you know way more left-wing than totally politics in contemporary you know, mainstream america yeah yeah totally which um is i guess also why i was talking about theory and practice like you know don't dismiss people because their theory differs in some slight way yeah. Even if it's a fundamental way, but it's like a hundred years in the future. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I think there might be some fundamental disagreements in our socialism. But That's true. Yeah. at the same time, like it, where that conflict would actually occur is like a hundred years away. So I'm not worried about it. You yeah. know? <laughs> like, but anyway, I was, what I was going to say is also like part of the reason we created this is because we like to like we want to keep having obviously these discussions with other people who think like us or know more than us yeah. or and also discussions about vanderpump rules and Dawson's well, Creek. yes of course so if you want to talk to us please feel free to tweet us or facebook us or whatever yeah um or if you like, want i to, feel like uh, i've like legitimately made friends from this podcast that i wouldn't have expected which is like so cool yeah. i mean we said that when we started making the podcast but i didn't know that that would actually like happen and now <laughs> There's people, like, I communicate with, like, more regularly than people I've known for years, and <laughs> it's awesome. Like, so please keep doing that. <laughs> yeah. Or if you know something we should talk about, let us know. Yeah. Um, you know, we did an episode with Georgia from Macedonia, which yeah. people should check out if you haven't listened to. If there are other listeners who want to tell us about politics in some other country or, like, TV or culture in some other mm. country or weird subculture that we don't know about. Totally. That would be cool. Yeah. Yeah, we could try to figure out how to record via Skype or something. I mean, mm -hmm. we had a bit of trouble last time, but I think we know uh, what we're doing yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. In theory, I had an idea, but it didn't work out in practice. Oh, there right? you go. Uh, okay. Well, let's wrap it up there because I think we keep rambling forever. Okay. So, you know, tell your friends about our show. Mm-hmm. Like us, review us. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Twitter at Cold Pizza Party. Yeah. Adam is at Bone Camaro on Twitter. Mm -hmm. uh, Lubitsa's been talking about making some makeup YouTube videos, so if you're interested, <laughs> um, encourage her. Reach out and encourage her to follow through. They wouldn't just be makeup YouTube videos, right. though. Like, I'm, I, I don't consider myself a makeup expert. I think I'm, like, I've been doing it for you're years. You're a burgeoning guru. And I'm perfectly good at it, but... Uh, what I'd love to do is, like, you know, do my makeup while talking about, like, Lucy Parsons or <laughs> um, maybe recently I watched, like, all of Dawson's Creek and Sex in the City and, like, maybe, like, analyzing some of <laughs> the differences and similarities between those shows or whatever. So kind of be an extension of this, but with makeup. Yeah. Which is fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, also... Uh, we'll write out on a song by the microphones because we're celebrating 
yes. the wedding of Jen and Phil. Yes. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy. Like, I can't believe, like, Phil Elvram and Michelle Williams. Michelle Williams. I was going to say Jen Lindley because that's who she will always <laughs> be to me. Beautiful, peachy Jen Lindley. Speaking of makeup, the best cheeks on television. I'm telling you. <laughs> like, so peachy. I really, if anyone knows where I can find a really, truly peach, not coral, not soft pink with some peach, but a truly peachy orange blush, like a, probably like a cream blush, I think is what they must have been using. Please reach out to me. Please let me know. Adam wants me to stop talking about the blush. But anyway, they got married, and it's just the best thing I've ever heard. It's like, legit the most inspiring and beautiful, like, celebrity relationship. Totally. You know, forget fucking Pete Davidson and Ariana Grande. Yeah, who cares? No, this is, like, incredible. Like, it makes me so happy. I literally, when I heard about it, I thought about it later in the day, and I was like, yeah, no, I'm really fucking happy for yeah. these people. They both seem awesome, yeah. obviously. But also, for people who don't know, they both, like, lost a spouse. I know. And now they have secretly fallen in love and gotten married together I know. now. Yeah. <laughs> so beautiful. And Phil has a daughter with uh, his his uh, deceased wife, Genevieve, like a young daughter, I think. Yeah. Yeah. A few years old, I think. Yeah. So now she's going to have an awesome stepmom. Yeah. Probably, it seems like. As does, obviously, Michelle Williams with oh, Heath Ledger. She? Yeah. Yeah. Who's, like, I don't know, she must be, like... 12 or 13 or something now i would Mm. guess so yeah like they have two beautiful daughters who are missing a parent and now they've come (laughs) together like it's and also they just seem like cool ass people so yeah it's just really great so anyway congratulations to you jen lindley and the microphones and uh yeah we'll pick a happier microphone song and put it in the name in the description yeah all right thanks for listening we love you drive safe have a good day (laughs) Blow over me, solar 
there Your soccer balls on knees Through your skirt I see Your legs gracefully Mountain